I'm so happy today that you're here and that I'm not with crutches anymore. I have been given the surgery and the release to put weight on this. And uh, it's so funny. I skateboard, I wakeboard, I snowboard, and I did this playing basketball. Basketball's rough. You know what I'm saying? Open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Keep praying for me as I pray for you. I'm doing really good. Hopefully, I don't have to give you too many more updates. But about eight weeks in the boot, 12 weeks to normal life, and six months before they let me go wakeboard and all that. But how many know I'm going to try to squeeze it in a little bit earlier? And I'm believing God for a miracle. So good to have you all here. If we could go to the slide first. Today I want to talk to you in the second service about revival. Everybody say revival. Amen. It's good to see you here today. You know, every service that I preach, I'd like to make it different. So the first service was a message on faith. So if you are needing a boost in your faith, check out that first service message. I see some of the young bucks. Y'all staying for two? Come on, OT. Let's give it up for these young men that came for the first, staying for the second. Man, that's what's up. Love it, man. You know, this is an exciting time. I used to do that when I was a young person, and I still want to do it now as an old person. I'll listen to both of my sermons on the way home at double speed. So by the time I get home, take a shower, whatever, my sermons will have been listened to. And then I'll listen to a bunch more today. And you know what? As you feed yourself the Word of God, you get strong in the Spirit. So I hope that this encourages them as well. But everybody say revival with me. Revival, thank you. This is something that you'll hear as a buzzword if you're around the church for a while. How many have heard that term, revival, before? I mean, you're going to hear it if you haven't. I'll be the first one to bring it up because you're going to hear it a lot in the church. What revival basically means is an awakening of the Christian church to the things of God. So it's like what you would call like a hype party or a great time of progression or a time of prosperity. And so revival means to bring back something that was dead. And if you look at the history in the United States of America, you'll see how much revival has played a part of our uh, upbringing and why we are the way we are. So how many have heard the term the Bible Belt before? The Bible Belt. Well, do you know how the Bible Belt became that way? Revival. Somebody say revival. Come on, revival. And, And have you heard about things like in God we trust on the dollar bill? Well, that came about because of revival. In the 1950s, when people were coming back from World War II, God started moving because everybody saw what godlessness had a godlessness had led to. People thought like, hey, if we get rid of God, we get rid of religion, we'll have utopia. How do you think that went for the Germans and the Russians, the Japanese, the Italian? How do you think that utopia went? It didn't go very well. And so when the Americans came back, the allied forces, you know, they came back, they started having revival, man, because they're like, thank God that we can have freedom here. Thank God that we can worship the one true God and not be persecuted or hurt others. And so when you look back at our history, you have these major revivals. Let me just give them to you quickly as the slide is up there. The first great awakening happened in the early 1700s. That was in the American colonies under Jonathan Edwards, as well as George Whitfield. And then the second great awakening happened really right after that in the 1700s. 1890s and the 1830s. Brother, put up in Wikipedia, Oberlin University. Oberlin University came out of the Second Great Awakening because guess what those dates have to do with? Those dates are right before the Civil War. So right before the Civil War happened, there was two great revivals. Do you think that had to do with people wanting to end slavery? Come on, somebody. Can I hear an amen? Y'all quiet in this Presbyterian church. I need a Pentecostal amen. Do you think two revivals before the Civil War had something to do with people wanting to put a cannon across a, a battlefield into somebody's chest to let slaves go free? 
It was a revival of the Christian religion that got people to break away from the British and to say, we're not putting up with this anymore. And if he can get that up there, Oberlin University was one of the first universities to graduate African-Americans as well as women. Can I hear an amen? For the women's suffrage, scroll down, please. Let's get a little bit of history here. Look at this. The Oberlin University... And uh, let's, let's see here. Let's go here. Uh, in 1835, remember I told you the revival of the Second Great Awakening went into the 1830s. In 1835, Oberlin became one of the first colleges in the United States to admit African Americans. And in 1837, the first to admit women other than Franklin's College in the 1780s. And then I just say that we had a revival during that time as well in the 1700s? I said, didn't we, didn't we say we had a revival during that time? Okay, now go scroll down a little bit. I want you to get their motto, what their motto was. Here was the history right here. This, history, this, this, this uh, school was started in 1833 uh, and featured prominently in the press, especially the abolitionist newspaper, The Liberator. Come on. Now, keep on going down here to, to, to Oberlin right here. Oberlin was an idea before it was a place. It began in the revelation and dreams, Yankee motivation to migrate west, attempt perfection in God's eyes, educating a missionary army of Christian soldiers to save the world and inaugurate God's government on the earth. And guess who was one of the presidents? Charles Finney, one of the leaders of the Second Great Awakening. Don't you guys say that the church can't change the world? Church has changed the world. Come on, I said the church has changed the world. The church did it. Not only in Latin America, not only in Africa, not only in Europe, the church changed the United States of America. Oh, and I already see Charles Finney right there. Right here, its immediate background was the wave of Christian revivals in the western New York state. You think of them being the most liberal now, right? And the most abortion-loving and the most against God. This is where it all started. A wave of Christian revivals in which Charles Finney was very much involved. You get Charles Finney's lectures on revival, and you'll see why it changed the world. He was a pastor and a preacher just like me. See, people will look back over our time right now, should the Lord tarry, and we get as far away from this time as they are from that time, and people will say, everybody owns slaves. No, they didn't. Everybody wanted abortion. Not everybody wanted abortion here. Everybody loved Miley Cyrus. No, everybody didn't love Miley Cyrus. Right? Do you see how people will talk about culture in a general sense? Everybody put down women. No, they didn't. You see, revival happens when the church awakens and gets everybody's attention. And now because it hasn't happened so, for, so recently, everybody forgot about this. Women's rights. Tell the church, stop oppressing women. It was, the, it was the church that put the women in the colleges first. Oh, you Christians, you're bigots, you're racist because they think of something over here in the South with Bubba or whatever. No, the Christians were fighting against it, leading the abolition movement in the Civil War. Come on, brothers and sisters. Third Great Awakening in the 1850s and 1900s. Anybody remember the Jim Crow movement? Anybody remember breaking down those barriers of the early 1900s? Well, guess what? Azusa Street Revival happened in 1906. Put up Azusa Street Revival. A one-eyed African-American man who had been injured in life, had a, had a disfigured eye, was put out of a college that he was going to in the South, had to learn from the outside of the door, wouldn't let him sit there, began to get on fire for Jesus, took the message to Los Angeles, Bonnie Ray Street, preached the gospel on a porch until they couldn't fit him on the porch anymore, got an old horse stable on Azusa Street and started the Azusa Street mission. And you know what the newspapers came and said about him? They said, and I'm not going to say 
say the N-word, but you can look it up. They said this N is leading church services with white, black, pink, and yellow, and they're all getting on fire for Jesus. The first integrated meetings was in a revival services led by an African-American. This is my hero. Because of his revival, now there's 500 million Pentecostal Christians around the world. And the largest nations are in Latin America. Christian nations are in Latin America and African nations. And it started right there. You can look up what God did through this man right here. A revival broke out. Broke down the denominational walls. Broke down the racism. And brought people together. And then sent out missionaries around the world. Now I'm just going to ask you this real quick. And I don't want anybody to lie. Did you know those things before I said it? Most of you have never been taught it. Most of you went to school, and you have, how many have heard things about Jim Crow? How many have heard things about slavery? How many have heard things about women's rights? How many have heard those kinds of things? Even right now, aren't we hearing that? But did you ever hear revival was at the heart of it? Didn't hear about that, did you? It was Christians, not Muslims, not Buddhists. We love them all, but listen, there's one that's right, and the rest are wrong. It's God's way or the highway to hell. Highway to hell. Better get right before you get left. Are you listening? And so you didn't hear about any of this, but now you hear how important it is. Oh, it's important to have women's rights. It's important to have equality. It's important to love the nations of the world and to be global in your understanding, not to support sweatshops. Okay, it's, it's supposed to be in your heart and mind. That all came from Christians. Christian missionaries. I'm not talking about people conquistadors. We've discussed that many times in this church before. I am not calling that revival. That is just as wicked as when the Muslims did it, as the Europeans did it. Whenever Christians did it, in God's name, they went to the same hell as everybody else. Are you listening? I said, are you listening? But what I'm talking about is revival. I'm talking about people getting together in churches like this, saying we've got to do something in our community. You ever heard of the YMCA? Young Men's Christian Association, please put that up for us. The Young Men's Christian Association started when people came from rural communities into the cities and they needed to keep their Christian religion because they were wiling out, getting drunk and partying and going to brothels. Don't you know that, that America's always been wild? I mean, it's not as wild. It wasn't as wild as it is now, people trying to change their gender. I mean, that was, wasn't that wild. But there's always been sex, money, drugs, crime. Are you guys tracking with me? Chicago, the home of Al Capone. I mean, there's always been gangsters here. Come on. And he, what you see is that the church has been there because of its revivals. First Great Awakening, 1730s to 1740s. Brought about the Second Great Awakening, 1790s to 1830s. And then the Third Great Awakening, 1850s to the 1900s. And then the Azusa Street Revival. So basically from the 1700s to the 1900s, over 200 years, God was moving in this nation. And what came about was the freedom of slavery, the freedom of women's rights, and then the integration of red and yellow, black and white, all together working for one common purpose. But what happened over time? The church lost its heart. We took steps backwards to where church is now segregated again, not because it has to be, but by choice. African Americans want to go to an African American church. Latinos want to go to a Latino church. Polish people even come here and say, hey, you want to do a Polish service for me because your last name's Vodostik, you know? Yak Shamash. And I'm like, well, hold on, man. If we all end up doing our services, we're going to, we're going to end up having one service for a red-headed Polish speaking that buried him at Latino. That's your service, you know? No, man, we got to learn how to be integrated. We need to learn how to be one body of Christ. Amen. And that's why, if you if just pause right here, brother, if you put up our picture from our leadership meeting, I love when you see uh, yesterday at our Christmas party, all of our elders here, you see red and yellow, pink and black, and every color right here under the rainbow living for Jesus. Amen. Male and female. I'm more pink than I am anything. I don't know if I'm white, but I look pink. 
Amen. I look pink. Pray for me. But notice this. This is what God is doing. God's wanting to join us together. Well, it's not the first time. And then here's the thing. We're also not the first generation to see how dark things have gotten. Now, going back to the YMCA, please. During this time, it was dark because people were coming from their rural countries and uh, country living, and they were coming into the cities, and they didn't have enough values to keep them. They were wiling out. And notice what it says here. It was founded June 1844. Okay, June 1844. Look at my uh, little revival timeline here. So that was right around the time of the Second Great Awakening that we had just learned about with Charles Finney and them. It was founded in 1944 by George Williams in London. So it started originally in their cities in Europe, but came over to America originally as the Young Men's Christian Association and aims to put Christian values into practice by developing a healthy body, mind, and spirit. The first gym was brought to our America, United States of America, by Christians. Your first gym to get buff, get, get your gains, fellas, ladies, come on, get in shape, was brought to you by Christians. Well, you Christians, you just have your head in the clouds. No, we have never just had our heads in the clouds. Well, you're so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. No, I'm so heavenly minded, I changed the world for good. I'm setting my thing on my mind on the kingdom of God so I can change the kingdoms of this world. True Christians understand what's happening and get down to business. Amen. So the gyms, think about that. The gyms, and I heard even basketball was invented as a sport in a YMCA. You can test me on that later. Uh, but that, even the sport, basketball came from the Christians over here. Now, brothers and sisters, we are not the first time to be facing our struggles now. Because in every generation, the church has had to match what's happening in the world. Somebody say revival. Thank you. Now, going back to that slide, please. After the Azusa Street Revival came the Billy Sunday Revival, which also involved places like Chicago and the Moody Street Revival, where they went out to the inner cities and to the highways and byways and brought people in, which then brought the healing revival of the 1950s and tent crusades. One of my pastors who raised me up, Pastor Sutherland, he gave me a lot of those one-liners. You hear me say, it's tight, but it's right, you know, and all of these things. He came from the, uh, the Chicago tent revivals. He was one to the Lord as a young man. He taught me how to do tent revivals. You just put up tents and neighborhoods. And right now we're believing God to put a tent on Pulaski and Madison and claim Fentanyl Lane for Jesus. We go there and visit, but I'm going to talk to the owner there and I want to say, hey, can I just put a tent up here in Jesus' name? I want to do two things. I want to make sure it don't get, it don't get stolen by somebody tweaking wanting to sell it. So I'm going to put Jesus all over it so nobody's going to try to take it down and resell it. And I'm going to make sure it's not made out of any recyclable items that people are going to take and try to recycle it with. Put it all there in something that they don't want to touch. Can I hear an amen? I want to put a tent there. Why? Because tent revivals in the 50s is actually when, when I was telling you about before the Bible Belt, that's really where it developed. That's really where it came about was a lot of Christians going through the South and preaching the gospel. As a matter of fact, it even touched, as I said, here in the Midwest. If you look at most of the old churches in Chicago, I'm not talking about the real old ones. I'm talking about the ones that kind of fit into the neighborhood. They're red brick. They fit about 150 people. You see them around here. Those came mostly around the 1950s from this revival. And then in the more modern times, and there's actually been a movie made about this, the Jesus Movement. How many have heard about the Jesus Movement revival that came from the hippies? And it's a great movie. I think it's free on Netflix now. You can check it out. Greg Laurie and others seeing the hippies get saved. And then after that, you get into my time. That was in the 60s and 70s. And then you get into the 90s, early 2000s, the Brownsville Revival in Florida. And this didn't do as much for the uh, nation as a whole, but a lot of churches got on fire during that time. Can I hear an Amen. So let me ask you a question. 
Do you see the need for a revival in this generation? If I was to ask you right now, what are about three or four things that need to change? Do you believe that revival could bring about that change? Okay, here's the ones that just come off the top of my mind. LGBTQ community. We need to see change again in our sexuality. People are confused. They are lost. We don't hate them. We love them, but we want to see them born again. Right? Well, I've been born this way. Get born again another way. And you're starting to see it already in this church, aren't you? You're starting to see people come from that community. Uh, last week, I had Issa testify. She was already dressing like a boy, taking the hormones, getting ready for the surgery. We had another young lady dressing like a boy, doing all of that, getting ready for the surgery. And right before the surgery happened, both of them got saved on fire. And now one is married with two children, and the other one's on the way to get married. Amen? And you look at those in this church who have come from bisexuality, homosexuality. They are all precious in God's sight. We don't judge you. We don't look at, down on you. We love you and we want you here. Amen? But we love you enough to tell you the truth. God loves you just the way you are, but too much to let you stay that way. And that goes for all sinners. That goes for all of us. That goes for me. That goes for you. Which is another thing that just came to my mind, the violence of our city, the urban violence. It's going on right now with the gangs. It's so sad. Now it's happening in broad daylight. I know you've seen the pictures. It's just sad, man. They're just shooting each other up. They're robbing people. They're taking their cars, the carjacking. And you know what? I was out there the other day in front of the high school, and I was preaching because we have our gospel truck out there. And I said to these young people, because they, well, we need to say this. We had a basketball goal out there, and if you can make the shot, for free, didn't have to pay to play, just pray, play for free. You make a shot, you get a $10 gift card, okay? So that got the kids to come around. And then everybody got a handful of candy. And what I said to them, you know, because when you bring out church stuff, a lot of times people think church people are stingy. So when they came around, they're like, well, do I just get one or two pieces? I said, no, you get as much as your hand can take. And then you're like, you got some guys that are like, oh, man, are you serious? You serious? And I'm like, yeah. And they would put their hand in there, you know, it's falling out all over the floor. And I'm like, that's about how much I want you to take. And then they got in their mind, but this is what I said to them, because they started saying, well, why are you guys out here? Because we're like the only church. I'm not saying in, 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 in the city we're the only ones who love them and care about them, but we're the only ones that usually go out to these schools. Am I not telling the truth, TJ? And I'm not saying that these other churches don't love them, so don't, don't, don't get that. I'm not trying to say we're better than anybody, but I'm just being honest with you. A lot of churches have neglected these schools. They talk about them on Sunday. They talk about how bad the young people are. Oh, these young people are bad. These young people are bad. But what are you doing about it? If it's dark, you got to bring the light, amen? You don't just keep cursing in the darkness, you got to turn on the light. So we're out there, and then this is what they said. They said they asked me, and, and, and this is the day that I saw them boxing out there. They weren't really fighting, fighting, but they were, you know, they were boxing, you know, like the kind of stuff you see on YouTube. And, and they asked me, they said, why are you out here? And I said, because you need to see there's a better way. You need to know that people love you. You don't have to run up into the store and take everything out. God can bless you with a job. You can work hard and prosper. This is not the way, you, this is not the way out. And then I always tease them, and they say, like, you know, uh, well, well, you know what? I'm waiting for a sign. I want to see something to believe. And I go, what about a sign from God right here, 6'2 soldier from Fro Wayne preaching the gospel in Jesus' name? Is this a sign for you right now? Why should I even be here I'm out here reaching you. That's a sign. I'm a sign. I should be in hell or in jail. Come on, somebody. I'm so happy to be saved. Anybody else happy to be saved? Because revival works. It changes people's lives. It starts with the church getting out of their sin. Because before they get on fire and hear what we have to say, they have to see that we believe it. They have to see that we believe it. And that's why I'm telling you right here and right now, listen to me, we don't play in this church with sin. It's not that we're not saying we won't be patient with you and love you and help you. It's just if you're going to be ornery and proud about it, we got to ask you to go. Because I want people to know when they come to this church that we take what we do here seriously. 
So that's why when people say, man, I'm in my sin, but I don't want to change yet and all that, we say, well, then you come back when you're ready. Because I'm not going to have you sit around my kids and other visitors and say, this is what Christian life is like. It's not about staying in your sin. Now, there is a difference between you saying, as we learned the last couple of weeks, so check out the message. I'm not saying you can't sin. If you sin as a Christian, we're going to kick you out. That's not what I'm saying. Please hear me clearly. What I'm saying is, if you say that you don't want to change, if you say that you're not ready to change, and you still want to call yourself a Christian, and you want to shack up with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, you want to live that kind of life, this is not the church for you. Why is that? Because revival requires the Christian to live like a Christian. It's getting quiet again in the Presbyterian church. Come on, can I get an amen from somebody that's tired of hypocrites? I mean, aren't you tired of it? I mean, if I told you I had sex with my girlfriend and here's my wife. I said I had sex with my girlfriend last night and here's my wife. Are you still going to listen to me? Well, why should I let the worship leader do that? Why should I let the youth leader do that? Why should I let anybody do that? If we're all here going to live for Jesus, let's live for Jesus. And don't act like you ain't got nowhere else to go live for the devil and call yourself a Christian. There's 10 churches that will take you right now and not care anything about you. Well, he put me out, and I don't know where else to go. Oh, you're a liar, liar. You know, you go all down the street here. Pastor, don't ask you nothing because he don't want you to ask him anything. It's like the pastor says to you, hey, don't start no stuff, and there won't be no stuff. I won't ask you what you did last night. Don't ask me what I did last night. I won't ask you how you spent your money, and don't you ask me how I'm spending my money. Are you listening to me? It's sad, but it's right. I remember one lady came to me. She said that church was so bad, the man would touch people right in front of everybody. She said when he came to me, he put his hand on my butt and squeezed my butt. A pastor did that. This is happening right now. Pastors living immoral lives. Another one of my friends, and he's not a liar, he said while he was, pre- while he was at this church, the pastor said, I've got girlfriends, get over it, and this is my wife. She's okay with it. We're moving on. Churches are coming out like that. I'm telling you the truth. Another church in Atlanta, the man said, I'm gay, I'm marrying my lover, and this is going to be a gay-affirming church. And the people stood up and clapped. We're not doing that here, my friends. So this is what I really want you to take serious is your walk with God. You say, Pastor, what happens if I sin? You repent of your sin. If you're confessing it to God, he forgives you. You're talking to your brother or sister, man, they're going to give you the same type of understanding. Say, okay, let's work on this. But if you're proud of your sin, if you love your sin, if you want to keep your sin, then you'll never see revival. And you got to get off this train because this train headed for revival, baby. This train is a clean train, this train. Woo! I taught my, my kids some gospel, man. You, you would think I was brought up in the South, but I only lived there about eight years, but the South got in me. You could take me out, but you can't take the South out of me. Are you listening? And I'll tell you one of these gospel songs, and remember I taught it to you guys. This train is a clean train. This train. This train is a clean train. This train. And it says, uh, put the lyrics up for me. This train's a clean train. Uh, this train don't take no gamblers, backbiters, slanderers, drunkards. I mean, it starts calling out sinners while you clap in the song, you know. You clap and sing it, but I guess I ain't on the train. But how many won't be on that clean train? We don't, we, we don't want an unclean train. We want a holy train. Would you bring on somebody to that, to that L on the loop today going around downtown if they had anthrax? I'm not saying if they were sick, if they got, they got sick, you would try to help them. But if somebody said, hey, man, I got anthrax, let me on the train, let me expose this to everybody. You see, it's a difference of attitude. You come onto a train with some anthrax wanting to expose it to everybody. No, get off this train. You come here, you're sick, and you got, you know, you got to wear your mask. That's okay. We get you to the hospital. The church is a place for the hurting sinner. Amen. But we want to see the sinner become a saint. How many know you might have been born naughty by nature, but Jesus wants you to become a saint by nature now? Amen. Anybody remember naughty by nature? That's maybe too, too, back, too far back for everybody. 
Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 as they're putting it up here. This train is a clean train, this train. Put it up there with Carlton Pearson, by the way. There it is. You all want to hear an old school gospel song right here? This, this is a way he remade it. I mean, uh, this, this is not old here, but it's an old school song. Yeah, go and push play right there. Let's listen to this. Come on, did I do it justice? This train. This train, it's a holy train. Talking about this train. Here he comes. Keep it up. This train don't carry no liars. Woo! Come on. No backbiters, no backsliders. This train, see, we're going to heaven, y'all. Got to be holy. Talk about this train one more time. Don't carry no gamblers. This train, no whoremongers talking about this train. Let's give it up for Jesus. Come on, holy train. Thank you. How many glad you heard that this morning? And God is my witness. Did I not put this on and dance like you have never seen me? I'm dancing. This train is bound for glory. This train. Something about gospel music hits me different. You know what I'm saying? Brothers and sisters, they were singing that during the time when everybody wanted to live like they were sinners, you know? Every generation has had to fight their good fight of faith. During that time that they were singing that, people were drunkards. People were hanging out on the streets. People were cheating on their wives. And they got together. Holiness, man, holiness preachers. Church of God in Christ mainly was the denomination. Preaching to the saints. We're holy. We're holy people. Don't live like that. And so to get it into people's heart, they made songs like that. I mean, I mean just think about it. Ain't no lies on this train. I mean, just think. I mean, you're singing what you're preaching, and, and it's going to convict you. You can't go to that church and sing that song if you're going to live in sin. And so so that's the kind of Christianity that changes the world. That's the kind of Christianity that called the slave owners sinners on their way to hell. Man, you, you're going to go to hell if you don't let him go. You know what I mean? This, this is the kind of preaching that gave women their rights. This is the kind of preaching that went down to the cities, like I said, in YMCA, and said, listen, we got room for you over here. Come stay over here. Come, come work on your body. Come work out. Stop getting drunk all the time. Amen? Amen. So just going back to that slide, so we look at our culture today. What do we need help with? We need help with our sexuality, LGBT, LGBTQ community. We need help with our violence, man. It's, it's taken over our street and our young people. And then we need help with our finances and how we look at money. You know, you, you look at our, our money mindset in this nation. We're corrupt in so many ways. Politicians, greedy, people cheating on one another, and there's not a fear of God in them. Even though when they come into office, they swear on the Bible, they have no intention. 
integrity. And so that's why you see everything always getting, you know, ripped away from the working class, you know. It's because it's corruption across a Republican, Democrat. Man, they only care about the money. Are you listening? They only care about the money. And that's why we need to see the righteousness come into the land. When you look back into the times of, of, of Israel and when wickedness was ruling, it was also that spirit of greed, you know. And so you see people suffering. You see poverty coming out like never before. You see the gas prices soaring, you know, all the, the prices of food going up and down and people not being able to get jobs like they want to and all that. It's because there's corruption in the land. And we need to see revival come. Chicago, just speaking about this city, used to be one of the industrial prosperous places of the entire nation and world. We need to see the jobs come back. And I'm not trying to get your vote for politics, but I'm just saying how you are in your life will affect how our politicians are. I mean, you know you got it bad when how many of our governors have gone to jail? Come on, you know you got it, but it's, it's not a joke, but it's, it's, it's old like a joke. You know you're corrupt. How corrupt? You know you're corrupt when the school board president goes to jail for corruption. I mean, we've had it all in this city. I mean, how could you be so uh, just down and bad and nasty to take money from the program of children and of schools and get caught? Come on, somebody. Do you know I used to live in New Orleans, like I told you? Mayor got arrested, and I think he had to do jail time, for corruption during the Katrina uh, hurricane, stealing money while people are going without their homes. So those are just some of the problems that I see. If you look back to when revival came, like I said, into the 50s, the nation, you know, the baby boomer generation, man, they were going to church. They were going out there doing their honest work. I'm not saying there wasn't corrupt people at that time. I'm just saying as a whole, the nation said this is how we're going to build. We're not just going to be greedy, ripping people off. We're not going to abuse people, abuse our workers. James talks about that. If you abuse your workers, your money that you make will become like a cancer to your soul. You see that the people at that time wanted to make a difference through their jobs, and now put this up on uh, Wikipedia, please. The Christian Business Association. Anybody, a businessman association. Anybody ever heard of that one? That was a revival during that same time when businessmen, somebody say prosperous. When these prosperous businessmen said, you know what? We better pray during our lunch hours. Otherwise, we can start competing with each other and get, get so competitive that now we think we got to lie, cheat, and steal. So you know what? We need to take time during our lunch hours and to pray. Otherwise, we can start looking at our secretaries and start using our privilege to start manipulating sexual favors. Can I hear an amen? I, I said, can I hear an amen? Amen. These businessmen understood that they had to stand up for what they believe. Listen, Christian Business Association. This is something else. This, this one started in the, the later times. Christian Businessmen Association. And, and listen, and these businessmen began to meet and pray. But you know what? Now in a city like Chicago, I went, I was asked to preach at one. And, and, and my wife knew this man. He was a Christian doctor. And he had it at his, uh, one of his you know, family friend restaurants. There was only about 10 people there. So now you look around Chicago, come on, let's look at our businesses, look at the corruption, look at the, the politicians. Is it any wonder when we don't have any men praying anymore? One of the great revivals actually happened in New York. I believe it was during the Second Great Awakening, but don't quote me on it. It was called the Wall Street Revival. Somebody do that one. Nancy, look that up. The Wall Street Revival. How many know those people need to get saved? How many know what they're doing over there still affects us over here? How many know the entire housing market crash was their fault over there?
Amen. You need to understand that. Go watch a movie. I can't vouch for the language, but the big short, and you'll see how other stock investors realize they are blowing us up, and then they shorted the market and actually made money when the whole market was crashing because they figured it out because it only took a, a, a few people to run the math and say they're just giving out loans to make money off the interest, and they know that people can't pay it. See, that's corruption. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. And then you watch the, uh, the movie, and it shows you it wasn't just Wall Street, but it was motivated by that, but it was the everyday lender. And I even remember this. I was around that same time looking to invest in some houses myself, you know, get a two or three flat. And I remember this man said to me, almost just like how the movie says, man, I'll get you anything if your credit's decent. I said, are you serious? He said, man, four, five hundred, six hundred thousand. It's fine, as long as your credit's decent. Why? Because he wanted me to sign that loan to get his kickback, and then he got his bonus, and then my interest would be sky high, and they didn't think anything about it. They were willing to give it to everybody. And then what happened when people couldn't pay? Crashed the whole economy. Anybody remember the recession of 2008? Well, guess what? We may be headed for another one unless they fix it right here because of all that stuff they did during the pandemic. I mean, pandemic, hello. I'm not too much of a conspiracy theorist, but I do believe in one every now and then. And you blow up our whole entire economy on something about the equivalent of a flu. It could have been more, and I'm not saying I don't believe in science, and I'm not anti-science. I'm just saying it wasn't that. And when they knew it wasn't that, they still pushed their whole agenda. How many know what I'm talking about? And they were willing to destroy our whole country over it. That's why your milk is so high. That's why your gas is so high. It's because of that back there. Aren't you guys paying attention? But you know what? You need righteous people in government to hold them accountable. We're Republican, Democrat, it don't matter. You need the righteous people. Somebody say the righteous people. Amen. Nancy, did you help him find it? Wall Street Revival and the Businessmen Association? Yes, let's do that one. And then did you find the Christian Businessmen Association? Go help him find that and then put that one up there. I'm going too fast for these guys today. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. They're doing awesome. They can leave that screen up there. I want to show you those too. But listen what the Bible says. Seek ye first your job and your bonuses. Is that what it says? Seek ye first your promotion, your new house that you want to buy this year, and your kids going to college because we can't forget about college so they can get an STD, I mean a degree, do you know that the number one place for the young adult to catch STDs right now is in their colleges? Do you know, why, know, know where the fastest growing spot is now for all STDs across the country? Retirement homes. Retirement villages. My dad lives in one, and he says, it is bad. He said, I'm meeting people my age that are hopping from one bed to the other. You think they stop having sex at 70? You haven't met a 70-year-old. Are you listening to me? Look at this one right here. The New York City Revival, September 23rd, 1857. I think I had said it was in the second great awakening. Let's see if I was right. Uh, it would be the third great awakening. It would be technical. But notice it right here, that God began to do a revival, and then these men on Wall Street started to have God touch them. Go down a little bit and see if it tells the history, because I know it had to do with some of these businessmen. There we go. It all began when a 48-year-old businessman, an evangelist to the inner city. Notice this. He wasn't just an evangelist. He was also a businessman. So don't ever say that you have to stop making money or be prosperous just because you want to help in the church. And sometimes I even see pastors do this. One of my favorite pastors, he stopped preaching, and he started selling vitamins. And I'm like, that's cool, dude, if you want to sell vitamins, man, but why aren't you still preaching? Now he's using all, he's an older man, he's like 60 years old. He's using all of his connections to help you lose weight with his vitamins, and he's a health coach. 
Now, I'm not saying anything wrong with that, but how many know that's grieving for me to see as a pastor? This man used to preach just like me. Now, every time you go to his Facebook, hello, I'm looking for 30 people to lose 30 pounds this month. Write me right now, and I'll get you a discount code. Love yourself, you know? And I'm like, okay, dude, that's good, but why did you stop preaching? Why isn't the next post, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? If, if you want to do it, that's fine, but you never stop preaching. So notice this. This man's a businessman, evangelist, so he's doing both and. This is his name, Jeremiah Lamphier, who gave up his business discernment to besiege the throne of grace for the success of the gospel. So instead of going the other way, giving up God to go get more in the world, I've had friends do that, by the way, and I can't wait to outdo them in the name of God. Amen. I said, amen. I don't mean that I'm competing with them to make them feel bad. I just want to show them that conviction. I didn't have to leave God for him to, uh, to, to bless me and to have finances. I could have both. Can I hear amen to that? Okay, so go back to that one. What, yes, this is the one I was talking about. You did find the right one, and we're going to look that up on the, uh, the Wikipedia. But go back to that, that New York one. You guys are doing great. Go back to where he was saying he, he gave up his business, thank you, to besiege the, the, the things of God, the throne of God there in the gospel of New York City among the poorest of the lower east side, among the prosperous Manhattanites of Wall Street. And then they begin to describe him right here. So you can go back to see all of this. But yes, he preached the emphasis of the Holy Spirit, salvation, and prayer. And from what I understand, and even to this day, it's like this, thank you, on Wall Street, they say when you're trading, because I'm a trader as well, they say... When, it, when they go to lunch, don't try to trade because there's no movement in the market. So what he started doing with those Wall Street guys when they would go to lunch, he started setting up prayer meetings and revival broke out. How many like to see revival among the bankers? Amen. And then going out to the Christian business, a uh, full gospel, and that's the, that was the title I was missing. Thank you. Full gospel businessmen association. There we go. And what year did that start in? That started in 1951. And by the time, thank you, Nancy, and, and Rudy back. Let's give it up for them helping me preach here. It's like you get part podcast, part sermon. How many are learning something today? Amen. Notice this. It started in 1951, right when I was telling you about the people coming back from World War II during that time of revival. And by the time, I think it was 2006, I go to the Chicago branch. And Chicago is the third largest city in America. You got less than 10 businessmen praying now. I'm not saying they're on Christian businessmen. I'm just saying that revival fizzled out. How many would like to start another revival among those businessmen? Amen. And you might say, well, I'm not a businessman. I'm a carpenter. All right, start right now having Bible study with your men during their lunch break before you guys go back to building. Let's start revivals among our workers again so that we see we work for the glory of God, not to get greedy and take all that we want. Amen. Amen. Matthew 6, Let's go there. But seek ye first. Not your job, not your promotion, all those things will come eventually. Not just all your vacations and things that you want to do. It says, but seek ye first his what? His what? Kingdom. Thank you. And his what? Righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Can I give you the secret of success? It starts with a J and ends with an S. Jesus. That's the secret. I'm not saying you can't be prosperous. How many think Chick-fil-A is pretty prosperous? How many think In-N-Out Burger is pretty prosperous? How many think Forever 21 is pretty prosperous? Have you ever found the secret Bible verse on the Forever 21 bag? 
Come on, y'all. You can be blessed in the fashion industry as a Christian. You can be blessed in the, in the, uh, uh, the food industry as a Christian. Hobby Lobby, anybody ever heard of them? You can be blessed that way. And I could keep on naming what God has done throughout these different businesses. But here's the thing. You've got to put God first. Because if we just simply have more riches and don't have the kingdom of God, the riches will deceive us and corrupt our soul. How many know that? If I put a million dollars in your hand right now, more than likely, if you have issues on the inside, the money is going to amplify that and make you worse off. Come on, let's talk about that. How many have seen some people get money and they don't get better, they get worse? How many know rich people aren't generally the most moral people? But yet we're sending our kids to college, we're telling them to get these jobs, and yet it's the very thing that destroys the soul. Jesus said it like this, you can't serve two masters. You'll love the one, hate the other, hate the one, and love the other. And then when he said what that other master is, he said you cannot love God and money or mammon. When he, when he picked the second competitor to God as the king of your life, he picked money. Why? Because money is the root to all kinds of evil. So the preacher said, one preacher said, I got an answer to your love of money. Give it to me because I don't love it. I'll take care of it. <laughs> I mean, no, that preacher is a liar. He said, I'll help you with your love of money. Just give it to me. Give it to me. Now, that's not what we're saying either in the church. You can be blessed by giving your tithe and offering for sure, but, man, you still got 90% or, uh, you know, Lord told me to give 5% offering. I give 10% uh, tithe. So 15% I give back to the Lord. So what do I do with that other 85%? Well, my heart has to be right. I have to know how to hear from God, how to invest it. I have to know where to put my monies into real estate, starting a company, inventive ideas. And brother, would you put that up because we had it from first service. How many know Amazon started in an office with a spray-painted sign? How many know that? And if you don't, you're going to learn it right now. This is where the richest man, him and, and, and uh, Elon Musk, go back and forth for being the richest man in the world. It's all the way to the right. Thank you, my brother. But that's where Jeff Bezos started. How many would like to have got a piece of that pie? How many wish Jeff Bezos was your friend? I'll invest in that. But you know what? A lot of people don't believe in you when you start off like that, do you? Do they? Oh, man, Jeff, he's crazy. Jeff said he's going to be selling books online. We got bookstores for that. Don't you know Barnes & Noble's hitting record profits? Do you know that when he was doing that, Barnes & Noble's was as its, as its biggest. All of those book companies were at their biggest. And what was he starting to say? I think people are going to want to buy books online. I don't think people are going to want to go to the bookstore. That sounds like a crazy idea, doesn't it? And we could say the same thing about Steve Jobs. I don't, I don't in any way admire their character because they're not Christians, but I admire, I admire their grind. I admire that they were creative. I admire that they went out and put in some sweat equity. Can I hear an amen to them? He said, I'm going to put a computer in everybody's house. I'm going to put a computer in everybody's hand. Do you know that I'm from a generation where my dad, everybody listen to this because I'll get him on the phone and ask him. He's about 75. I'm from a generation that computers to have in the office would cost twenty or $30,000. By the time I was growing up, computers would cost three to $5,000. My dad would kick me down the old ones that he would have from his office. And I'm telling you, man, they were big old brick-looking things. You know, you've seen them like that. But thousands of dollars. And what did Steve Jobs say? I'm going to put a computer in everybody's house. I mean, that just blew people's mind. You're going to put a computer in everybody's house. And then I was around for this. Most of you, this is older than you, the iPhone, because we got a lot of young adults here. I remember when he first came out with this, and people were like, man, you're going to be able to read a book on your phone. A book, singular. And I was like, no, that's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, put up Primeco cell phone. I'll show you my first cell phone. You guys ready for this? Yeah, man, it was the size of a brick, too. So when somebody told me, you're going to be able to read a book from your phone, 
I'm like, that's crazy. How about this? You're going to be able to listen to music from your phone? How many know that's crazy? But somebody had that. What am I trying to point out? There's been revivals. See, if this was a, a, a class on economics, I could point to revivals of economics, if, if this, of progress. If this was a class of, of political science, I could teach you of the revivals of political thought and how we've upgraded over the years. If this was a class over uh, innovation and, and talked about the revival or progress of, of innovation, how many know there, that Apple would be on that? And so what I'm trying to point to you is this is where it started. This was my first cell phone. This one right here. Look at this cell phone right here. Do you think I was ready to read a book on that phone? Do you think I was ready to listen to music on that phone? And now, what do we have here? It's endless, right, what you can have there. I think God's looking for people like that again, but in the Holy Ghost. Who's going to bring out those new ideas for what God's doing in the church? Who's got the new YMCA? Who's, not, who's got the new gospel album? Who's got the new Full Gospel Christian Men Association? Who's got the new March on uh, uh, the, the, the Capitol prayer meeting going? Who's got the new uh, tent revival crusade to go to the south side? You know, Who's got the businessmen association that's going to go downtown and work with those in the high rises? It's time to get busy for Jesus. The first thing that we have to do is get the sin out. Somebody say, get the sin out. Amen. Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 14. One of the most famous passages that you'll hear on revival when people talk about it. It starts off with, if my people who are called by my name. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. This is the promise that God gave his people. That if they will what? Call on his name, humble themselves and pray and seek his face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will do what with their land? Heal their land. We need our land healed right now, don't we? So you have a choice. Let's just be honest. You could be the kind of person that just gives up and says, well, whatever is is whatever will be. I'm not going to try. People are wicked and crazy. Leave me alone. I'm going to go away. Or you're going to take it head on as a conqueror in Jesus' name. How many see the Goliath and want to rush towards him instead of running away? The Bible says when David saw Goliath, he didn't run away. He ran towards him. But remember, David was taunting those Israelites. You guys think you can get me? Bring out your biggest guy. And if I knock him out, we take you over. And if he knocks me out, I'll take him. You guys could take us over. Bring him out. Bring him out. And the Bible says all of the men of Israel sat there and listened to that guy. Call him out of their name, their family name, their national name, all of, out of their dignity, out of all of the pride they took in being Israel. I called him out of it, and they didn't do nothing. And then what happens? Here comes little old David sent on an errand to bring his brothers that were in the army some snacks. He's, he's bringing them some Lunchables, some Cheez-Its. And while he's bringing some Cheez-Its and Lunchables, as a young man, he says, what is this I hear? Brother, soldier, military person, don't you hear this? Why isn't anybody going out and fighting? It's not about your strength in your own self. It's about the strength of our God. Haven't you heard the stories about God parting the Red Sea? Haven't you heard the stories about Samson? It's our God's name that's at stake. He's not just calling out your name. He's calling out Yahweh's name. Come stand up here for me, please, uh, Lucas. Imagine you going to drop off some Skittles for some of your friends at battle, okay? So he goes there to drop off some Takis and some Skittles. And this is what I think David was like. And yet David said, hey, man, I'll go and do it. And the, and the Bible says, when Goliath saw him, Goliath laughed and even had pity on him for a minute and said, just go back, little dog. 
Go back, little dog. But then David said, no, no, no. It's not me that's losing today. It's you that's losing today. Because the God of Israel, he's going to knock you out. And with that slingshot, and if you ever see somebody do it, it does have skill. It can kill animals, okay? With that slingshot, he took him out. But he wasn't yet dead. Don't forget that, y'all. He was just knocked out. He wasn't dead because he's a big dude. Bible says David went over to him, took his own sword. Imagine that. Took his own sword, cut off his head, lifted it up, turned back to the boys and go, let's get him. Come on, give it up for Lucas right here. Thank you, my dude. I don't know who you are today or what you're going through, but I know who your God is, and he's big enough to take on whatever you and I are facing. When I showed you those pictures of those revivalists, I, I wasn't showing you William Seymour for you to go, oh, he's so amazing, I'll never be like him. When I was telling you about Charles Finney, I wasn't trying to intimidate you. I'm saying what they did, you can do. When I'm telling you about the founders and the people of these different revivals, they were just people like you and I who said enough's enough. And the first thing that they did is they repented of their sin. Now go with me, please, to Acts 3.19. You can't be a hypocrite and ask God to get your back. In other words, David couldn't have been looking at OnlyFans the night before and say, let me take down Goliath. And I say this to my friends all the time who are conservative politically, but they live like the devil, just like everybody else. And I'm like, you'll go to the same hell as everybody else because God's not looking at conservative or, Demo or Democrat or liberal. God is looking at Christian and non-Christian. He's looking at holiness or hell. Can I hear an amen to that? So yes, we should be, I believe, conservative in our values. I think that's closer to the Bible. And I'm not going to tell you how to vote. You know, I'll give examples of what I think Scripture says. But here's my point, is that you could be voting right, but be wrong in your heart. You could be saying, well, I want this to change, and I want schools to do this. And I've worked with people like that. They do want to see good things happen. I mean, uh, they, they, they see the morals of the Bible, but they themselves aren't living like it. That's why when I was saying with Trump, Trump's not your savior. He's already been married so many times, committed adultery. If he don't get right, he will go to hell. He may be a better businessman and may be better for the country than the alternative, the lesser of two evils, but don't get him twisted. You know, people were making statues of him like they were making of Lenin, ready to worship the Fuhrer. Are you listening to me? Put all your hope in Donald, in Donald, trust, uh, in Donald Trump we trust. I don't trust in Donald Trump. I trust in God, amen, who makes Donald Trump's. And God can use a wicked king to do a righteous act, don't get me wrong. But here's my heart for you, brothers and sisters. It's got to be personal first. Before I point a finger, even, even right now I'm convicted, before I even point a finger at Donald Trump, I better keep my one wife happy for the next, uh, all my life, and I, you know, to the death to us part is what I meant to say. You get what I'm saying? Because I'm not leaving her to the next one. <laughs> that would have been a real bad thing to say. But I better be ready to live, live my life as a good husband if I'm going to point a finger at Donald Trump. I better be uh, the one that God called me to be to these children. And, because a baby daddy is a baby daddy, and Trump is a baby daddy. He got, he, he's got all these children with these different women. Are you guys listening to me? It doesn't mean he can't be saved, but I only want to have one baby mama, and I only want to be a baby daddy to these kids right here. Amen? Come on, somebody. I mean it. I'm being honest with you because if you don't get it, you'll get so social, you'll get so much in your cause that you'll forget that it's over, uh, the gospel's over that cause. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. So before, and, I, and we need to be in this, before we work with sex trafficking, we need to make sure that we're right in our heart. Before we start trying to help out those in the OnlyFans, getting them to love themselves and who they are and not having to sell their body, we need to make sure that we're not one of their customers. Before we start pointing fingers at the LGBT community saying what they're doing is perverse, we better make sure that we're not living perverse. Amen? 
Look at it. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. Thank you. So notice we're repenting and we're hastening, we're quickening the coming of the Lord. Jesus says that he's going to come for a live, vibrant, holy church. So the church is not going to be busted and disgusted when Jesus comes back. Before he judges the world, the church will get right and the church will be on fire. That's why in every one of those revival generations, you can mark it down, they all thought Jesus was coming back in their generation. Why? Because they were getting on fire. They were standing up for the things of God. And they were saying, Maranatha, even so, Lord Jesus, come. We're finishing up the work. But what they didn't realize is how big the world was. And now we realize that there are many unreached peoples all throughout the world. And that's why we need to pray and support our missionaries because there's still tribes and languages and lands that have not received the gospel. So our work is not yet done. One other scripture, go to Joel, Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Somebody say, repentance is the first step to revival. Come on, one more time. Repentance is the first step to revival. Amen. See, William Seymour had to be right in his heart before he started preaching against racism. Because if he would do it like the Muslims, he would do it as hating his enemy. But the Bible says don't hate your enemy, but love your enemy. When they would ask him why did he integrate his services when it was these white people who had did him wrong, even some of the Bible colleges he went to did him wrong, he said because I don't judge them and treat them the way they treated me, I treat them the way Jesus treated me. How many know Martin Luther King Jr. even had that same thought? He said don't let anybody bring you so low as to hate them. He He's using the Christian principle of turning the other cheek and loving your enemy as yourself. Amen? And here you see it. It changes the culture. It will change the society. Joel chapter 2 verse 12 says, even now. Somebody say, ahora. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is what? He is gracious and what? Compassionate. Thank you. Slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave a blessing. Grain offerings, drink offerings from the Lord. In an agricultural society, that's like you're getting paid. And the Bible says he's a good God. So I'm looking at Belmont and Clark not out of anger. But I'm looking at, at them out of justice. And the just cause for Belmont and Clark is to return to Jesus. And they may not want to hear that from us. They may think, and those who don't know, that's the gay community in, in Chicago. Belmont and Clark may not want to hear the message of repentance, but it's the message they need to hear. It may not be what they want, but it's what they need. And so before I go out there and preach to them, and before you go out there, what does the Bible say? We need to fast, consecrate ourselves, weep, be broken. Don't go out there merely out of anger because we think they're destroying the fabric of our society or changing the family and so forth. I love what one preacher said. Before the homosexuality, uh, the homosexual community ever messed up sexuality, the husband and wife messed it up when they cheated on each other. And when they started making the divorce rate 50%, so before they ever wanted to hook up and do all they were doing, Americans were divorcing themselves unbiblically and destroying the families. So we got to point to ourselves first. The Bible teaches that the humble repent. 
the proud keep their sin. So ask yourself this question right now, brothers and sisters. Whatever sin you have committed, are you proud of it or are you humble to repent from it? Because that makes the difference. That's why if you ask me today, well, Joe, why don't we kick you out the church? Haven't you sinned? You know, well, here's the thing. I'm not proud of my sin. Anytime I'm caught in sin and the Holy Spirit brings it to me, says, why are you doing that? Or my wife checks me on something. My instinct is to listen and to follow. And if I turn rebellious, then that will lead me to further destruction until I finally repent and listen. But the Bible says he's patient with us. And what he's looking for is a people that will do it now. Everybody say now. Amen. Going back to that slide. What's the first step of revival? Repenting of your sins. What's the second part? The apathy ends. Everybody see how that rhymes? First step of revival is when repentance begins. Apathy ends. Hallelujah. Let us go to the mountain of the Lord for show. Anybody else going with Pastor Joe? Come on. <laughs> I try but it rhymes. It begins when you repent of sin and apathy ends. So now here's this last point. I want to say this quickly because sometimes people go, well, pastor, I've been doing good in church. You know, God's been keeping me holy. When I, when I sin, I repent. But then I ask him, but are you busy for Jesus? Oh, you know, I've been busy for my wife. I've been busy for my family, my husband, my kids. Okay, that's great. But are you getting apathetic towards the things of God? Well, somebody else will do that. I'm not really called to do that. Listen, if we all just sat on our holy backside, we would give the definition a meaning to why they call those things pew. Because when you sit on them long enough, you begin to pew, pew, pew. You got to get up off your holy backside. Are you listening? Get up off that stinking thinking off the pew and start doing something for Jesus. This is not a spectator sport. In about 10 minutes, I'm going to be setting down the microphone. Ready, set, go. Your race begins. Are you listening? It's your race, brothers and sisters. It's not just me. I'm a coach, but I'm also in the race as well. In 10 minutes, I'm going to be on the floor with you, leaving out these doors, bringing the glory of God to where I go, to preach to the streets, to go to the abortion clinics, to help with the jailhouse ministry, to go door to door, wherever God sends me. This is what you have to do as a Christian. And as I've always said, you can't do everything. I get it, but you can do something. You can't help everyone. I understand that, but you can help someone. Amen? Go to 1 Corinthians 15.10 as the keyboardist comes, please. Thank you for your enjoyment today of this message. I've heard the amens, the claps, but now it's time to put it into action because it's not just about a speaker, right? It's not just like Joe was our motivational speaker and he did good. I'm motivated. Well, what are you motivated to do? you got to go out and do it now. Otherwise, I failed. I'm being honest. Otherwise, I failed. The amens, the shouts, I love because that shows our church is down with what we're down with. Amen? And that's why I don't want you guys to be quiet and sit back and just let this message just roll over you. No, man, I want it to get inside of you, so thank you for that. But everybody get this. Who's been, who's been amening, who's been here uh, you know, with me in this service, now start to pray what I can do, what you can do. Let's start to go out as a church and change the world. Amen? Look at what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 15.10. Paul said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. That should be what every single one of us says. I am what I am by the grace of God. That's why even still to this day, if they make a touchdown in the Super Bowl and take a knee, I ain't throwing no judgment. I'm happy that they're giving glory to God. Well, that person does this, this, and this. Okay, they may not be the best example of a Christian, but I still love it when I see people give God glory because they know at least this much. They couldn't even walk on that field, let alone make a touchdown if it wasn't for the glory of God. 
And even though some of those people on the Grammys are hypocrites, I just want to thank Jesus that I was able to make this song about back that thing up, and now I've won a lot of awards. Okay, you're not living right, but I'm still happy you understand you couldn't even form the words of your mouth if it wasn't for God. So at least you know that. The Bible says that these are God-fearers, and they don't live like they always fear God, but at least they know enough to give God glory. How many know somebody like that? And maybe they got a cross around their neck. Maybe they'll talk religious every now and then. They live like the devil, but they still give God a little glory. Don't hate on that. Just help bring them closer to Jesus, amen? Because what they're showing you is that they have at least enough sense to know there's a God that they got to say something to, amen? So notice Paul here. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace that was given to me was without, uh, was not without effect. It, in other words, it's not that it failed. It worked. No, I worked harder than them all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. Who's going to give you the strength to record that album? Who's going to give you the strength to use your gifts for the Lord, the grace of God? Who's going, to use, uh, who's going to give you that strength for you to use your gifts to be a nurse, to be a businessman or woman, to be a homeschool mom or dad, to be a young person that graduates with honors, the grace of God, to be a grandma that takes care of the grandkids, to go out of your way to help your neighbor. It's the grace of God. But you have to, everybody get this, and I have to let the grace of God do its thing. If you don't let God's grace work on you, you're going to be busted and disgusted. I've met pastors that are busted and disgusted. Sometimes they act like being a pastor is their worst job. I'm like, dude, I know people, because I've watched that Undercover Boss show, I've watched people clean up those portable toilets, have more fun than you are. How many know what I'm talking about? You know somebody like that, man. They're supposed to enjoy their life. They have a lot in life, but they're still not happy. I've, I've met some very wealthy people that don't like their jobs. I'm telling you, well, I just did this to make money, but I don't like this person. I don't like this person. I used to go boating with this one guy. Guy had a big house, had his own business, a beautiful boat. Every time I'm with this guy, he's complaining, complaining. I'm thinking, dude, you're probably at the top 1%, but he don't like his life. Why? Because he doesn't let the grace of God give him the ability to do it. If you don't have the grace of God, you'll get annoyed at your workers, even though you just had a million dollar a year, two million. You'll be annoyed at your, your, your employees. You'll be annoyed at the tax rate now because you made so much, now you got to give it back. I have another uh, friend, he's like that. He, he makes a lot of money trading and all that, and he always complains about his tax rate. Dude, get over it. I mean, I know I'm with you. There's a lot of corruption right there. But, dude, if you made $10 million and you got to pay 20% off that, thank God you still got, what, $8 million left? How many would like $8 million this year? How many would be happy with a million dollars? Let's be honest. Well, I had to pay 20%. Well, okay, that's a problem you have, little small violin. But they'll complain about it. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, you're wealthy. We live in America. We complain about the bus. We complain about the Uber. We complain about everything. Man, I, went, I remember one time I wanted to save up to get a boat, so I wanted to use the money for the down payment, didn't want to take it out of savings. So I started driving Uber, man. I'm willing to grind, baby. So it just was something I was doing at that time. I remember one young man was in the back because I was always offering candy, bottle waters. Anybody ever been in an Uber like that? Man, mine was special, okay? Just imagine me picking you up for Uber, man. It was fun. People would love it, man. I had five-star ratings. They would be like, yo, what do you do, man? I'm like, I'm a pastor. Because they would like, there's something different about you, man. Because like I was talking to them all the time. And um, I had candy back there, bottled water, hand sanitizer, and everything. 
And I just heard this kid back there just going through all my candy, you know. And I'm hearing the rappers and everything. And I'm just like thinking to myself, okay, dude, you like candy. You're eating like 15 of them. That's cool. That's why I have them back there. I don't care, you know. I had a brand new car I was doing this with, okay. I get done because after every ride, I would just clean up. You know what he was doing? He was taking the candy, deciding if he liked it. And if he didn't like it, he was putting it on my seat. I had about three or four pieces of candy on my seat. Yeah, life feels like that sometimes. You, you try to do something nice for somebody, and that's what they do in return. But you know what I did? I cleaned it up. I prayed for him in my heart. I said, Lord, bless that wicked little sinner. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> bless that ungrateful man. Bless him. Teach him something, Lord. No, I was like cleaning it up. And then I was just like, Lord, bless him. Keep him. Save him. Do something great in his life. Because that's what it's going to feel like in life. You are going to feel like people won't appreciate you, what you do. You remember I told you about when I was doing real estate, at least I tried to get into it. One of the guys I called up, man, he was really successful because he had a bunch of buildings and I was talking him through. And I was like, listen, why don't I go in on one with you and then I'll just give you most of the profit, but you can teach me. You know, I'll, I'll give it like whatever we make up to like 5%. Just give me like a little bit. He was like, he got mad. Like he was nice up until that point, but then he got mad. You know, it was almost like he was a little squirrel and I was trying to take his nut, you know. And he was just like, I'm not doing that. I would never do that. And then, he, and this is where he revealed his heart. No one ever did that for me. I'm not doing it for nobody. I'm a self-made man. I'm not helping you. Do you want the property or not? Cash right now. And I thought to myself, man, that's why you're probably going to have two divorces. Come on. That's probably why your kids are going to hate you. And that's probably why you're going to wonder why you on Prozac and having to go to the bar every night and drink two tequilas just to put your nerves at ease. You could have just said, no, man, that's not what I'm here to do, right? But see, the world, even in their success, will be angry. It's never enough. See, Paul said, I'm working hard, man. I'm giving it everything I got. But it's the grace of God. See, the grace of God will, come on, can I have Nancy stand up? Let's give it up for Boobster Boo as she comes. Come on up here. This is not to make anybody feel bad, but the lightness of my wife's countenance is better than most high schoolers right now. And yet she's a mom of six, master's degree, pastoring a church. Why do you think she carries such a light load on her? Because she's not letting dark circles and, and stress get to her because she knows that God's going to work through her to homeschool all these kids, pastor this church, come on somebody, pick up kids from the neighborhood, and you got somebody that doing half this, two kids, stressed out cat, how do you do it, Nancy? I need a bottle of wine after every night, you know? And we're not trying to make some of you new moms feel bad, but you know what I'm talking about. You're on number two, and you're about ready to send them back for adoption. Woo, take them back, somebody. I didn't know it would be this. And you're trying to wonder, how did she get to six? You know why? It's because the grace of God is on her. God told her to have that many kids. God told her to go back to school while she was uh, ministering to the kids in homeschool, go get her master's degree. God told her to help with the Bible college with a little help of her husband. She didn't think she was ready. And I'm like, that's why you got a master's degree. And she now teaches classes at the college. Amen. Hallelujah. I love you. You're blessed. I'm not trying to just show her off, though that, of course, works and gains points for when we go home. But I just wanted to give an example. What does grace look like? It looks like your life. There's a lot of grace workers in here. How many of you are grace workers? I see it, man, in your face and your joy. How many of you are blessed? The old timers used to say, I'm too blessed to be stressed. And you're thinking they're just saying that on the beach. No, they're saying that in the middle of all the stuff they're going through. I've watched people lose businesses in this church, but yet God bless them and take care of them. One of my friends during the recession that we talked about was a woodworking expert. 
He did one of the governors that actually went to jail. He actually did his governor's mansion woodworking. I think the, the bill for that was like a couple hundred thousand. That's how good he was. Well, what do you think he was doing during the recession? He's watching business just go through his hand like sand. He came to the other building that we're at to an altar just like this, tears down his face. I said to him, brother, let's get together. I took him out to lunch at Webster's Grill, blessed him, just blessed him. And I said, man, you're a man of God. Don't get discouraged. And he looked at me, man, pale-faced, depressed. And he said, he was like 40-something years old. And he said, man, I don't know if I have anything left in me. This is all I knew. And he shows me his hands. He's a working man. You know, Paul, his hands are working man's hands, just like your hands, Brother Carlos. He says, yeah, what else do I do? Well, you know what God did? God said, go sell insurance. Everybody always needs insurance. And I know sometimes we think of cheesy salesmen like that. But no, he went there with his integrity of being a businessman. And I talked to him about a year after that. And he said, you know what? I'm now making more money as an insurance salesman than I ever did woodworking. Come on, somebody say, that's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. How do you restart a career in your 40s during a recession and now say that you're happy or making more than you ever did before? And guess what God told him to do during that time? To help his wife start a church. So him and his wife, Sister Janine, started a church out in their suburbs because they were tired of too many of the mega messes out there because there's... Every time you see one, I'm not trying to speak negative over them. Every time you see them start to get big, it's just a countdown till they fall apart, touch money, the gold, the gals, or something. And so they said, we're just going to open up our home, start having Bible studies, go out in a farm area, start having church out there because it's a farm out there. They started doing it outdoors, and they got busy for Jesus. Think about that. So instead of him having a tear in his beard, being depressed, which I'm sure there are people still from that recession who have not recovered, he got focused on Jesus, started doing the ministry with his wife, realigned to the right career, and now he's blessed. Somebody say grace of God. Amen. Maybe just one more uh, story in closing to encourage you. When you came into this church, you came into the grace of God. This place is the grace of God on display. My wife and I started it from our two-bedroom house. And when I was saying this in first service, guess who walked in while I was saying this? He lives in Germany now. He's in the military. He walked in. The very first member of our church sat down while I was talking about the starting of our church. And he sat down right there, and I said, oh, God's going to encourage somebody right now because how is that a coincidence? I start talking about how the church literally started in my house playing video games, and a young man, which happened to be him, wanted a Bible study, and he walks in at that same time. Well, guess what? This church is blood, sweat, and tears. But it's more than that, isn't it? It's the grace of God. Because as we started, the Lord just simply told us, go out and evangelize and make disciples. Quickly, Mark 16. The Lord told me just to go to work and do what he put in front of me. Now, this is my testimony. Yours may be different, like my brother's, to go into woodworking or to insurance or yours to be a mother like my wife. But I'm just telling you, this is what God told me. Way at the end of Mark, after he said, these signs shall follow them that believe. Go and scroll all the way down to Mark 16 at the bottom, please. These signs will follow them that believe. Those that, you know, cast, they'll cast out devils. They'll speak in new tongues. They'll take up serpents and deadly scorpions. and shall not hurt them. They'll lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover, right? See, that's verse 18. Now look at verse 19. After this, the Lord has spoken it to them. He was taken up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and then the disciples did what? went out and did what? Preached how many places? Everywhere. And the Lord worked with them. 
Come on, somebody. And the Lord did what? Worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. I don't know about you, but I need somebody to come work with me. I can't do it by myself. I need somebody to take up the load with me. And I hear Jesus. I don't know if I got a keyboard to sit. I got Jesus saying, I'll come in the sweat of the day the heat of the day and I'll work with you I'll carry the load with you y'all get y'all get looking at me crazy when I do that but sometimes I gotta preach it I hear the Lord saying he'll work with you but pastor I gotta get up at 4 a.m. the Lord's gonna get you up and work with you Oh, but uh, you don't know my co-workers, Joe. Oh, he knows them. He made them, and he's going to work with you. He's going to help you get over Sassy Sally and, and help you get over Nosy Ned and Attitude Owl. He's going to be on your job. Come on. You're going to get that project done early. How, I said you're going to get it done, and it's going to be early. They're going to say, how did you do this? And you're going to give glory to God. Amen. Daniel was blessed in Babylon. Joseph was blessed in Egypt. The disciples were blessed in Rome. You couldn't stop what God started. It's time for us to believe God for revival again. Go to the places of this world and change it. Start with what you have in your hands. Just like that young man with the five loaves and two fishes. And say, it's not a lot, Jesus, but here it is. Some of you have come from backgrounds that I'll never relate to. I know Sister Sydney's been a part of sororities. They won't let me in. Well, at least they wouldn't before. Now I could call myself a girl, maybe get in, but I can't relate to sororities. But your, your, your wife is called to reach them. She put out one of those names in the prayer request. Simon or Simone, do you know the one she's talking about? I'm praying with her, though. S-I-M-O-N-E. How would you pronounce that? Simone? I'm praying for it. I wonder if that goes back to her colleges. You see, because I can't go there with you tomorrow on the job. I can't go back to your college reunion. I can't go there with you as brothers. You're going to be a nurse tomorrow and go take care of the sick and those who are recovering. I can't be with you on the job to be a teacher or an engineer or where you go today in the military with the Marines. Hoorah, come on. But my brother I was telling you, he got so on fire for Jesus that he became a chaplain, and now he's retiring after 25 years, David Montes. So he did all the everything in between with the Army, but because he's been there so long, they said, what do you want to do? He said, man, I would like to be a chaplain. We love you so much, David. Go get the degree. We'll pay for it. And now he's going to be retiring after 25 years as a chaplain. Praise God. And that's what God will do. He starts with right where you're at. He starts right with what your struggle is, and he says, if I can change you, I can change somebody through you. I think about my testimony. Think about me, guys. I mean, before I had the gray hair, before I had this, this dad bod, man, I was an 18-year-old kid on drugs. I was the one that the, the people were looking at in the church pointing the finger at, going, we need to reach them. These are the young people, right? A Gen Xer. And God got a hold of me. And once he did, he showed me, Joe, if I did this in you, I can do it in others. And you just don't ever forget that. 
And so now that I'm in Chicago, I'm with you believing God for revival. I would like for our names to be up there. The Chicago revival of 2024 because God did more than he's ever done before. Hallelujah. Would you stand up and give it up for Jesus? If you're believing for more in 2024 than he's ever done before.